0: This is Condopedia. Here, we talk about everything related to condo law in Ontario, with hopefully some
1: humor mixed in.
2: Hi, everyone. David here for episode two. In this episode, I'm providing a recording of a Q&A session our firm had on Friday, April the 17th, about the current COVID-19 situation. You'll find more information about the Q&A session that we had on the show notes, And you can also refer to the specific timestamps that will be outlined for questions that you may have specific interest in. But as a general overview, the questions were divided as follows. First up, we had Melinda who talked about maintenance and landscaping issues. Jessica followed up with talking about contracts and payments during this period. Emily then discussed renovations on the common elements. Victoria followed up with renovations in units. I then talked about limits on disclosure of information, particularly of a medical nature. Jim then followed up on issues of electronic meetings. Mo talked about closures and removal of amenities. Cheryl talked about status certificate issues. And Christy ended the Q&A with some discussion on enforcement issues. There was also some follow-up questions that we received during the Q&A session which we answered during the intervening periods. So feel free to listen to a specific section that you are interested in, or even better, listen to the entire Q&A because there might be a follow-up questions that was answered during the intervening period. I hope everyone stays safe and we'll be in touch again soon.
3: Hello, everybody. It's like an influx of all of our friends. How much fun is this? And I'm seeing people have cameras on this week that didn't, hello, hello. Oh, I like the dog, Dorothy, that's fantastic. That's gorgeous. Monica. if you're really there right now, I wish I was there too. That's gorgeous. Okay, so just seeing how many people we've got coming in so far. So it looks like people are still um, joining us, but I think we'll probably get started. Uh, because it's 2.01 and we're going to try our very best to keep this till 3 o'clock particularly because it's on a Friday afternoon and I'm sure everybody wants to go spend time with their family or even just have a nice glass of wine to celebrate the end of the week. So welcome to uh, Q&A with DHA session number two. We're very excited to have everybody here today. And we're going to try and cover all of the questions that we got from all of our participants today through the email uh, the email responses. So thank you everybody for submitting questions. So again, we have Allison Browning, who's going to be our hostess extraordinaire. She's going to make sure we handle all the techie side. Um, I'm getting off easy today with not answering any questions and just moderating us through this session. So I thank all of my fellow lawyers in the firm for allowing me the pleasure of doing that today and then each of our lawyers is going to answer the hot topic questions that we received. We also have our our chat function set up on the right hand side and Ali's gonna help watch that as well. Uh, If any questions pop up throughout our session that you wanna add to the topics that we're talking about, we will do our best again to try and answer those questions in the chat function. So just before we get on to the uh, meat and substance of, of the questions, Uh, for those who didn't have a chance yesterday to listen to the cci ontario webinar we had three really cool speakers dr etches uh, superintendent ford and uh, chief lewis from the fire department talking about some really key issues in condos and they gave three really salient um, pieces of advice one from the police, I'm not going to talk about because Christy's going to talk about that. So I'll just tease uh, and tie that, or tease that one up for her, or tee that one up. That's where like where I'll tee that one up for her. Um, but Dr. Etches did confirm for us last night that when you're in quarantine in a condo, it means stay in your unit. So that's a really helpful, uh, strong pronouncement to have from Dr. Etches. You can go back and take a look at the webinar, but that does mean in a condo, stay in your unit. Um, Similarly, with respect to fire code compliance, we did hear from Chief Lewis that fire code compliance remains mandatory. So to the extent that you're having any difficulties achieving fire code compliance, be sure to work with your service provider and contact the fire department as may be needed if you have any questions on how best to comply. Uh, with your obligations. So two great pronouncements from our speakers last night. That webinar will be up on the CCI East Ontario website shortly. Um, so if you missed it, it's uh, some great stuff from those three speakers. So without further ado then, I'm just going to jump right into our topics and each of our lawyers, as I said, has a particular topic they're going to address. So we're going to start off with Melinda. So Ali, I'll get you to unmute Melinda and while you're unmuting her, I'm going to tell everybody what she's talking about. We have been inundated with questions about landscaping and I think some of you out there probably have better answers than we do on some of these issues, but we thought we would tackle maintenance and landscaping because it all does come down to the essential workplace questions and this issue, this issue is changing on a daily basis. What do you do about grid on roadways, what do you do about walkways, what do you do about maintaining? um spring maintenance is it should it be postponed should it not and what about landscape contractors who want to fly under the radar what do we do so melinda can you help us through this
0: okay so um hopefully i can try and provide some clarity on this um the bottom line is that part of the confusion is that the provincial government has now deemed regular landscaping work um as not essential unless the work can be considered strictly necessary to address an issue related to the safety, security, sanitation, or essential operation of the property. So the trick is assessing uh, whether the work is gonna be strictly necessary or not. The point being that even if regular landscaping can be uh, completed on the property in a safe way in compliance with the social distancing uh, protocols, it looks like the provincial government is recommending that the work be postponed unless we consider it to be strictly necessary. So this means that our boards are now, uh, and managers are now being required to assess whether their landscaping work can be considered strictly necessary. And I have three uh, points um, to mention here. First off, um, this is properly a decision for the board. It's certainly uh, within their uh, jurisdiction to make these types of decisions because they are in the best position to assess the unique circumstances on each of their properties. Um, The boards can certainly consult with their contractors about this. um, uh, And hopefully that, that type of consultation may prevent a dispute with the contractor uh, down the road. If the board has to make a difficult decision that might uh, temporarily reduce that contractor's uh, scope of work right now, maybe we're hoping that that type of consultation will um, try and alleviate some of the the difficulty in in those types of decisions where boards are required to limit a contractor's scope of work right now. But ultimately, the bottom line is that the decision uh, falls to the board. Um, uh, And, and whatever that decision is, the contractor is going to have to abide by it because it's the board's responsibility to be considering all the factors that come into play in terms of safety on the property. Um, My second point is that, um, unfortunately, there's no hard and fast rule that we can give you guys that are going to apply in all cases the decision is gonna vary on a case by by case basis. And this is part of the reason why um, a lot of confusion has come up and a lot of questions have come up. But basically boards, what boards are being asked to do is um, to assess whether the landscaping work relates to a safety, security or sanitation issue on the property or whether it's required for the essential operation of the property. So that's a lot to think about. But generally, our sense is that if you can sort of assess whether the work is required to to address a safety issue. Safety and essential operation tend to go hand in hand. Um, as long as you're focusing on safety and essential operation, then you're probably in good shape when the board is making its decision. Ultimately, if there's any doubt about the work's necessity, then that's probably an indication that the work can be postponed until a later date. Um, <clears throat> I don't actually have my chat function on right now. So if there are questions for me, can Allison, can you let me know.
3: So far so good, Melinda. The, we had one question from Jerry, but we're going to uh, deal with that okay. next on contract payment. So carry on.
0: Okay, I'm carrying on. So My second point was there's no hard and fast rule, but now I'll try and give you some examples that may, it depends on the circumstances, so don't hold us to this, but they may be considered strictly necessary right now. So for example, certain cleanup after the winter season, if it's going to address a safety risk, things like debris cleanup, picking up fallen leaves or branches, cleaning up winter grit on roads and walkways. Again, if those are strictly necessary, then that can probably go ahead. Trimming dangerous branches, dead trees, that kind of thing. Also street sweeping may be necessary because it does uh, provide a function where it's gonna help our storm sewers, uh, prevent a storm sewer backup, that kind of thing. So it's gonna be for boards to assess whether those, uh, those types of tasks are strictly necessary to go ahead right now on their properties. Okay, my third point on this is that what is going to be considered strictly necessary it is likely going to change over time for landscaping issues. Uh, so for example, right now, it probably doesn't matter if anybody's cutting grass, not, there's not a lot of grass growth, whatever. Uh, but in a month from now, two months from now, if we have a lot of grass growth and that's posing a safety issue Um, or it's impeding on the essential operation of the condo, then that may be something that will deem to be strictly necessary in a couple of months from now. So the assessment is gonna be evolving. So in summary, um, ultimately assessing whether the landscaping work is gonna go ahead right now is the board's decision. Um, They're going to have to consider whether it's strictly necessary for the safety or essential operation on their property and just keep in mind that these circumstances are going to be evolving and the board's decision making may change over time. So uh, I'm sorry that we can't give a hard and fast answer but hopefully that gives um, people some ideas of what to think about. We had a related question to this. The question is was along the lines of if managers are, and boards are being pressured by contractors right now who are anxious to get working and get money coming in to fly some of the work under the radar and just go ahead with the regular work as scheduled, um, how should boards respond? So we get it. It's a difficult situation to be in. There's certainly a lot of pressure right now for contractors to be paid. Ultimately, we have to look back to the provincial government's guidelines right now which is um, that the routine maintenance is likely not essential again, unless it's strictly necessary and and that's for the board to assess. So condos can't just fly regular landscaping work under the radar. It's really just a decision that the board is going to have to make because the board again is responsible for safety on the property. So the safety on the property one of the ways to maintain safety on the property is limiting the people that attend on the property, including contractors, so it can't really be be flowing under the radar right now. And the other thing that we're hearing is that the city of Ottawa's bylaw officers are taking a really hard line against contractors. We've already heard of landscaping contractors that were hit with fines for being out and on their way to go do work. So that's something that the board has to factor in as well. Um, and the other thing too is that if boards are getting pressured by contractors, um, we are hearing from the Landscaping Association of Ontario that the government may be considering um, loosening up the requirements or or the prohibition against um, landscaping work right now. So it may be that in a few weeks the government is going to permit landscaping work to go ahead And the Landscaping Association of Ontario is obviously lobbying very hard for that because in some ways it is a pretty low risk type of work. So it may be that in a few weeks, um, landscaping work can go back to normal. So those, but as of right now, the assessment again is strictly necessary. Uh, So that's it for me. Great, thank you, Melinda. And I think a couple of the comments
3: that we saw on the side in our chat totally relate to that. Uh, As Jody said, Dr. Etches yesterday did confirm individuals could go out and do their own gardening uh, as long as proper social distancing is in place. So that that may lead into Landscape Ontario's determination on whether certain tasks can reopen in in short order. Um, As for Landscape Ontario uh, documentation that we received, and Paul, thank you for flipping that our way. Uh, Also yesterday on this exact point, we did hear from Superintendent Ford that to the extent the Condominium Corporation can provide a letter to their contractors explaining the nature of any urgent work that is being taking place on site. Now, that letter combined with their own contractor's letterhead and their identification can help the police officers and or by officers in assessing whether or not the contractor can proceed to the site. So if you do have, and I know Jim has dealt with some of these cases as have others in the firm, if you do have an active leak ongoing and the contractor needs to get there for some reason, providing them with a letter confirming that that's the nature of the work that's being undertaken can be helpful in assisting the police and making a determination. So just another uh, little tip to keep in mind. So Melinda, thank you for that. Uh, Melinda's topic leads us right into the next topic as do the three questions that we received in the chat from Eric, Monica, and Jerry about contractual payments. What about breaches of contract? Do we have to pay our contractors if they're not doing work? Um, how could we negotiate something that's in the benefit of all parties? So, Jessica is going to help us with those questions that we receive related to contractual payments and what we should be doing. I'm pretty sure that in her comment, she's going to answer all of those questions as well as the additional ones we received uh, in our email chat. So, Jessica, over to you. Okay, great.
4: Uh, I think you can all hear me, so let me know if there's a sound issue. But I just wanted to, uh, further to Melinda's comments about maintenance and landscaping, we wanted to dive into uh, this topic as well because we've received several questions regarding whether condos have to make payments to contractors under existing contracts, if the contractors are doing less work or no work as a result of COVID and um, and the decisions that boards are having to make regarding what work is essential and what is not. So as always, Um, you know, when you're dealing with a contract a lot is going to depend on the specific wording of your agreement. Um, Your specific contract might be quite clear on payment requirements or it really might not be. So if you have a question or a board has a question about the obligations under a specific agreement, um, as always, you know, your legal counsel, the condo's legal counsel can assist with reviewing the applicable contract terms and can provide you with more specific advice in your a particular situation, so that's important to remember, um, but today we're happy to talk more generally about uh, the general principles uh, that are going to apply in, in most cases, but again that's going to be subject to your contract wording, so it's important to you're looking at those contracts and seeing what they actually say. So generally speaking, it's our view that where a contractor is performing less work under a contract, they should likely be paid less than the full value of the contract. So, in most cases where less work or no work is being uh, done some sort of payment adjustment is likely appropriate in those cases. So where you're doing less work you're likely going to be paid less and where your contractors might be unable to perform any work because of the restrictions that are currently in place um, they might not be entitled to payment during that period. Obviously in cases where uh, no work's being done that's a little bit of an easier situation uh, where only some services are being performed, that's going to be slightly more tricky um, because the corporations, along with their contractors, are going to need to determine, uh, are going to have to be able to determine the, the quantity of the work actually being performed and what an appropriate adjustment might look like in their particular circumstance. So as a, as a first step in most cases um, where the work some work under your contract is affected and is not being performed, Um, that boards and managers talk to their contractors, open up those lines of communication, um, ask for the input of the contractor, try to come up with terms together about what an appropriate adjustment might look like. Can you decide together that 80% of the work is being done and and therefore a slight adjustment is appropriate? Can you agree on what's happening? And if that can be done, that's wonderful and that's hopefully going to avoid a dispute in the future over the type of payment that's being made. Um, In cases where you can't agree or in situations of a more technical project or more technical contract, one thing uh, that condos can consider in terms of coming up with an appropriate payment adjustment is to have a third-party consultant uh, come in and help you value the work that's being done. Uh, This might be something that's provided in your specific agreement, but even if it's not, uh, we think it's a good idea to consider and discuss with your contractor. Um, because it's going to allow you to, it's going to allow the consultant to come in, look at your contract, look at what work is actually being performed, and come up with um, uh, an, a price adjustment that they think is appropriate based on uh, what's happening and kind of put a price tag on the new value of work that's being performed. Um, obviously, as Melinda said, this is a rapidly changing um, situation and. What you might not be able to do this month, you might be able to do next month. So this is a process that boards are going to have to kind of consider on a rolling basis as more services are being provided under your current agreements. In many cases, you know, we're hopeful that contractors are going to work with condos and figuring out appropriate price adjustments, because obviously in most cases, some payment is going to be better than no payment. So we're hoping um, That we can work together and figure out what's appropriate and where you can't, it might be helpful to have a third party come in and assist with those sorts of discussions. I think that's kind of all I had initially on, those, on that topic. I'm not sure if there are any other questions that we can, we can discuss, but that's what I had.
3: So if, uh, thank you, Jessica. If others have questions that come up, uh, we can make sure that, oh, oh, here's a question that came up just from Kathy right away. Would the contractor then be able to ask for more money later when things return to normal? Uh, Jessica, can I put that back to you? Uh,
4: sure. I mean, I think as the uh, scope of services uh, expands over time, um you're going to want to look at uh, what the appropriate adjustment is and if it needs to be increased. So in, in a few months if they're providing 100% of the services then yes, you should be paying them 100% of the contract value for the work they're performing at that point.
3: Great. Terrific. Thank you, Jess. Okay. So carrying on on the vein of work. It seems like this is the hot topic right now. We've all we've all passed the emergent crisis of keeping people in their units it seems and now that they're in their units They want to renovate or perhaps do other things. We're going to get to that shortly. And just before we get to that hot topic, what about renovations on the common elements? What about work that may have started, uh, maybe ongoing? we received a lot of questions about construction work in general. Some that in progress some that's starting out for example we received one question in relation to a signed contract for an elevator modernization scheduled to start soon. So Emily can you help us understand what our obligations are here or what we should be thinking about?
1: Sure so uh, firstly in terms of this specific question you would have and in terms of uh, renovations generally on the common elements so we'd have to consider first of all whether work was started prior to the April 4th 2020 date and this is this is a requirement that's under the Ontario government's order regarding essential workplaces I believe it's item 30. So in the elevator modernization particular situation there is room for debate as to whether the work has started or not prior to the April 4th date just because I understand from my reading of the question Um, There weren't any details as to whether any materials had been delivered to the corporation, uh, to the condominium corporation, and there weren't any details regarding whether payments had already been made under the contract. So those are factors that would help us to understand whether or not the work has started. Now, we don't have very clear guidelines as to what the meaning of start of work really means. Um, So in terms of that, it would be a case-by-case analysis uh, looking at the details to see whether work in a particular contract had begun prior or after the April 4th date. And now just if we assume that work was started prior to the April 4th date, uh, in our view, the boards boards still are legally obligated to decide whether that work should continue um, given the current public health concerns. Uh, As we all know, under the Condominium Act, the board has the obligation to control and manage the common elements. Uh, And if the board decides in making these, um, considering these factors, uh, that the work can't continue or can't safely be conducted during this time because of the public health guidelines, our view is that they likely have the right to stop that work. um, Even if it was started prior to the April 4th date. Uh, On the other hand, the contractor of course, could disagree because the work was started, if the work was started prior to the April 4th date, they could likely argue that it's their legal right to continue to do that work. So obviously this is a gray area. And again, it would depend on the specific facts of the situation. And if you get into a situation like this, it might be best to have a discussion with the contractor just to voice the board's concerns to see if some agreement can be come to in terms of um, whether this work can be delayed for the time being, uh, and if need be, of course, seeking legal advice on the issue and having the corporation's lawyer reviewing the details around the situation to determine and doing the research to determine whether this uh, whether the start of work had occurred or not prior to the deadline. It's a, it's a bit of a tricky situation. So ultimately, as I mentioned, regardless of whether the work started uh, before April 4th, uh, our view is that the board's, it's the board's call, as they do have the obligation to control the common elements um, in this case. Uh, and on the other hand, if the work clearly has not started prior to April 4th, uh, it can't now begin unless the board determines that the work falls under those um, requirements that being strictly necessary to manage and maintain the safety, security, sanitation, and essential operation of the condominium. Um, and if you run into that situation, it might be wise to get an expert opinion in terms of what that means for a particular condominium and whether the specific contracted work would fall under that category. Uh, yeah, and I think that's everything.
3: Great. So I guess we're all going to be very, very familiar with articles 30 and 20 of yeah. this emergency order, because that's what we need to look to. You start with article 30 and see where we fall. And if we fall, don't fall within there. We look at Article 20. We also have situations where neighboring condos are are still continuing work, uh, building new, new condos, et cetera. And we do get questions about whether or not that work can continue. And that falls under Article 30 sub two in some cases. So those are the key provisions you need to consider on whether or not renovations can continue both on your own side in the common elements and perhaps on your neighboring development. Just going back quickly to the landscaping issue. We had Gary uh, suggesting, so is it safe to tell contractors to start at minimum May 15th for all regular grass cutting depending on changes to the restrictions? That's 30 days from where we are now. How long does the grass need to be before it's deemed essential for safety? Is long grass a safety issue or is it just cosmetic? Well, Gary, I think that's exactly the question we're all struggling with. Um, And you have to determine on a case-by-case basis in your particular situation, as I think it was Melinda described to us, whether or not it's essential there. Um, But we may also have some further guidance in the next week or so from Landscape Ontario. So let's keep our fingers crossed that before we get to the end of April, because April showers bring May flowers, uh, that we have a bit more guidance on that. So stay tuned. We may have to have another session before then. So, turning back now to uh, common element changes we just completed, now on to unit renovations. Everybody's stuck in their homes, some people decide they want to paint or bring in some contractors. I think many of us saw that there was a case floating around, so we're going to turn it over to Victoria to give us some insight on what we should be thinking
5: about for unit
3: renovations.
5: Yeah, so uh, in terms of unit renovations or repair work, we know that as Melinda and Emily have said that uh, from the list of essential services that were released on uh, by the province on April 3rd that any maintenance or repair work commenced on or before April 4th is permitted to continue and any maintenance or repair work commenced after April 4th is only permitted if uh, if if it's strictly necessary for the safety, sanitation or essential operation of the unit. In terms of any work that an owner uh, started on or before April 4th, um, we're of the view uh, that whether or not this work should continue during COVID-19 is an issue that can be decided by the board. Uh, The board's decision will need to be based on reason, consideration, of course, and take into account the uh, circumstances of the condominium as well as what's in the best interest for the community. If the board ultimately decides that this work should stop, uh, in our view, the owners uh, or the owners that currently, uh, that have projects ongoing will need to be uh, permitted to bring their unit to a uh, livable condition. And so in our view, a livable condition will in part depend on the nature of the resident. For example, some owners may require uh, certain accommodations for uh, physical reasons, for instance. And so what is a livable condition will need to be assessed on a case-by-case basis. This said, basic considerations of what is a livable condition uh, include uh, ensuring that there are working appliances within the unit, so uh, making sure that there's a working fridge, toilet, and stove. Uh, ensuring that there is running uh, water, heat, and electricity, making sure that there are no areas within the unit uh, where construction has taken place that could present a safety or health hazard, Uh, ensuring that the unit is compliant uh, with the fire code, to some extent uh, ensuring that the flooring is finished to ensure that there are no tripping hazards. Some of you may have heard a recent court decision uh, dealing with non-essential repair work. Um, In this particular case um, it it had to do, uh, the unit owner had painters come into their unit or at at least peered that way during COVID-19 and actually we We blogged about this decision on April 8th. In this case, uh, the parties ultimately uh, ended up agreeing to seize renovations uh, during the pandemic uh, and until this matter could be uh, determined by the court. However, what's interesting about this case is that the court had confirmed that this was an urgent matter and that it was prepared to deal with the matter if the parties hadn't come to an agreement. And so overall, the court felt that this matter was urgent enough to merit a quick decision. In our view, as and as noted within our blog that we posted, uh, you know, we have difficulty imagining a situation where the courts would permit non-urgent, non-urgent or non-essential work uh, to to proceed during the pandemic. You know, anyways, uh, anyways, as a final note, you know, we, of course, encourage condominiums and owners to postpone unnecessary and non-urgent repairs and renovations during this time. Okay, great. Thanks, Victoria. Because one one of the tricky things that we are dealing with right
3: now as a community, of course, is that the decision came out just before the essential workplace uh, definition was limited yet again. So uh, we have to marry the the decision with uh, with the further reduced list. So thank you. Um, I also note that, going back to the landscaping issue, because it's really a hot topic, uh, Carol Parks just reminded me that Quebec did release landscapers from their list uh, of restricted services not too long ago. So maybe Ontario will follow suit, we'll see. Um, So it was just very recently that they did do that. And then another question from Barb, um, about TSSA compliance for elevators, should we be concerned about that? Um, I would think that very like much like fire code, we'd want to be talking to our service providers to see whether or not there's a way that you can get compliance insured during this time so that you don't end up in a situation after all this is done with a complaint for not having taken obligations. So be sure to check with your provider right away if you have any concerns about TSSA compliance. In the event that you need an extension of the deadline, be talking to to TSSA in the same manner that last night uh, Chief Lewis said for fire code compliance. If you need extensions of deadlines because your limitation is coming up, be sure to get in touch with them right away to obtain those extensions. Um, so many questions and so little time. So we're already half an hour in uh, and we're probably getting to about halfway through our questions. So we'll turn over now to a, a different topic, uh, privacy and the limits on disclosure of information. This continues to be a hot topic as to what we should or should not be telling people uh, in our condos with respect to these uh, the virus and COVID-19. So David, I'm going to turn it over to you.
2: Thanks, Nancy. So my question is, what are the limits and responsibilities of a corporation when it comes to requests from owners regarding other owners' medical information? Now, if a corporation knows about positive cases in their building, it is perfectly proper for the boards to tell owners about this. So say if there's one case in your building, the board can let the owners know that there is one case in the building. But the board can't provide identifying information about those individuals who have tested positive. What the board can tell other owners as part of the notice, um, informing them about the positive cases, is that the board is being extra vigilant um, and is taking extra, extra steps in light of the positive cases. The corporation has spoken to the individuals who tested positive, and the individuals are self-isolating, etc. In each specific situation and at each condominium, It is up to the board to make the ultimate decision on what measures are appropriate in their community. But the main goal should be to inform and comfort the residents and the owners without generating fear. Now, some of you may know that there was a webinar last night involving Dr. Etches, etches, And Dr. Etches discussed some some of these issues. And what she said as like an overall general statement is that privacy is paramount. So, obviously, as I mentioned before, this means no identifying information about anyone who's tested positive. But this also means that the corporation can't be going around following up on on accusations that someone might be COVID 19 positive. That's not what a condominium corporation does. For individuals that have tested positive, um, Dr. Dr. Etch has mentioned that the OPH will work directly with the owner and the resident, and owner or resident and whether or not the OPH informs the condominium will be determined on a case-by-case basis. The OPH, however, will make sure that the person who tests positive has somebody to get the things they need. And furthermore, individuals who test positive or owners who are seeking additional information can always call the OPH to get uh, referred to the appropriate resources. The public health authority might intervene more generally at a community if the issues become big enough. Um, But generally speaking, they will work directly with the owner or resident. And there is absolutely no expectation for boards to provide the resources to owners or residents that the OPH will provide. The main concern of the board is obviously the the corporation and the building itself. But if the corporation requires resources themselves, they can also reach out to the relevant community resources that are available and to, to get the assistance that they need in dealing with this current crisis. And, and that kind of sums up my comments on this question, but I believe there was a question at the beginning from a listener about being legally obliged to let owners know about if someone has passed, someone has passed away in, a, in the community. Um, I think that kind of touches about what I said at the beginning about giving owners information. I think ultimately it's the board, how does the board feel about whether or not that information is helpful. Obviously identifying information about the specific person is, is a no-go, um, but ultimately whether or not releasing that type of information will help the residents and the owners In their residence, or whether that would not have any sort of positive impact. I think that's up to the boards to decide. but, But happy to hear about any further questions on that point as well.
3: Thank you, David. It's, these are very, very tricky issues. And I guess uh, to sum up some of what uh, David was saying from Dr. Etchess' uh, discussion yesterday, she was very adamant in saying it is not up to the Canadian Corporation to be the resource, to be the care providers. And it was refreshing to hear that the key is for OPH to help the community put those individuals in touch with the resources. And that I think is the overall message. We have to maintain privacy for those individuals who are not willing to disclose the information. We can make the inquiries, but if they say they don't want their name released, we can't do that, but we can reach out for help with OPH in helping the resident through this time and then communicate generalities to our community. Tough topics, really tough topics. Um, So we're gonna move on then to our next uh, topic, which is electronic meetings, 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 meetings. Uh, It's another hot topic. So Jim, you're going to walk us through this. Over to you, Jim.
6: Yes, thanks very much, Nance. Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. So as Nancy said, I'm going to talk, say a few things about meetings. And I was going to start with board meetings. Um, So, first off, face-to-face meetings of up to five people are still legally permitted. But I believe that most boards are now meeting electronically. At least, uh, what I've heard is that almost all boards are now meeting electronically. So, Zoom, Google, teleconference, or some similar technology that allows for concurrent communication. This is what we're seeing as far as concerns board meetings. The Condominium Act, section 35, sub 5, says that these sorts of virtual board meetings are legally permitted as long as all directors agree. However, in our view, during this COVID-19 crisis, boards have the right, in our view, to meet electronically, whether or not all the board members agree, because boards need to meet, and right now, personal meetings are discouraged and in some cases, even improper. Now, a few words about email. Email is not a meeting, and I know you guys have heard this before, but email is not a meeting because it is not concurrent. However, in our view, email is still a great way to get business done on the understanding that email decisions need to be ratified as soon as reasonably possible at an actual board meeting. Also, if there is any doubt that the ratification will occur, or if any board member expresses discomfort uh, or upset at all about the email process, then in our view, the particular business should likely stop pending a formal board meeting. Well, that's what I had to say about board meetings. Now, meetings of owners. Uh, right now, it's not really possible for owners to meet except electronically or by proxy because of this five-person limit. Um, so if you're going to do be doing owners' meetings uh, at this time, they're going to have to be electronic, or if you can uh, um, Uh, encourage owners to uh, vote by proxy, that might be a possibility as well. But as a result, many owners' meetings are being postponed, including postponing AGMs beyond the six-month deadline, which in our view is acceptable at this time. In terms of electronic attendance and voting at owners' meetings, again, I think there are various possibilities, such as Zoom, Google, teleconference, etc. And then you could have voting by email, text, Zoom, or other methods during the meeting. In our view, the still our view that voting likely has to occur during the meeting. Of course, proxies are always permitted. Someone can vote by proxy under any of these procedures as well. In strict technical terms, electronic or telephonic attendance and or voting currently requires a bylaw. However, in our view, under the present circumstances, a bylaw is probably not legally required. But passing a bylaw would nicely eliminate any doubt. So we think that it's maybe a good idea to pass a bylaw just to avoid any arguments about your rights to uh, meet electronically or telephonically and have voting. By way of electronics or telephonics. Um, and I wanted to add too that this is one of the new types of bylaws that requires a lower vote, uh, namely a majority of those in attendance at a meeting, um, as opposed to the uh, the old bylaws or the m- most bylaws which require a majority of all units voting yes. Um, Also, the bylaw could be passed at the start of the same meeting, in our view. So, we pass the bylaw at the start of the same meeting to authorize the electronic telephonic procedures. And then, in our view, you can go ahead uh, in accordance with uh, those procedures. um, And then, on the understanding that the bylaw is going to be passed uh, without delay following the meeting. Second thing I wanted to add, as a... Uh, as a note here is that there have been rumors that the province is perhaps thinking about eliminating the need for a bylaw, temporarily or permanently, we don't know, but that there are rumors that the need for a bylaw may be eliminated, and so that's something we're watching for. Uh, It may be that we'll hear sometime, who knows when, uh, maybe soon, uh, that these bylaws are not even gonna be required in order to authorize electronic or telephonic voting uh, meetings and uh, voting. So there you are, Nance. That's what I had to say about meetings.
3: Great. Um, and so, with respect to proxies, there you can still do your proxy meeting with a Zoom portion. So I know we've, we've in the past, we've often done proxy meetings where the board of directors meets and they count the proxies at that particular meeting. And as long as you've properly notified the owners in advance of your procedure in your pre-notice and then in your notice of how this proxy meeting is hopefully going to unfold, and then you have the proper Zoom format set up, You can probably still do your proxy meetings. You just have to make sure that you have fully disclosed the procedure to your owners. We've uh, definitely seen several proxy meetings happening now. We've seen some Zoom meetings happening. Uh, One of our clerks, Elaine, attended a Zoom meeting just the other day with David and it went really well. I've done some Zoom meetings. You can do polling votes, you can do proxy votes, you can do all sorts of different things with the technology out there. So we just need to embrace the options. And in a given situation, you would just have to fully describe how your process is going to unfold. So we did have a question, explain how to vote for the election of directors at an AGM over a Zoom or conference call. It'll depend on the platform that you're introducing, whether it's just a Zoom meeting with polling and proxies, or whether it's a Zoom meeting in conjunction with Get Quorum. There's a couple of different options that can be considered. But the key will be to disclose in your pre-notice exactly what the procedure is going to be so everybody has sufficient time to understand the process. And for those owners who may not be technologically savvy Uh, to be informed and get some help from either management or the board as to how this works. In some cases, an owner may only be able to call in because they don't have a computer, in which case we we can talk to the owner about, okay, you can call in, but you can give Joe your proxy and Joe can vote for you on the fly during the meeting in the event of an election of a new director who presents himself that evening. So we just have to think on a case-by-case basis of how that will practically work and what procedures we want to implement and then make sure that we disclose those procedures uh, in a timely fashion so owners can educate themselves in advance. It's, it's a, it's a brave new world out there, but lots of fun possibilities. Okay. So anything yeah. else on meetings, Jim?
6: No, I was just going to say it was great comments, Nancy. Thank you so much for them. And you know, it's, it, we're all learning about how this technology works and all the various options that you've mentioned. And I think we're, they're going to also evolve. We're going to learn more and more and we're going to see more and more um, uh, of these sorts of uh, platforms uh, uh, that'll help us uh, do these sorts of things, there already are some. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's an evolving, I think, uh, an, an exciting way. We might see more and more meetings happening this way, even after we're done with this COVID nineteen crisis. Mm-hmm. So very interesting.
3: For 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 relatively straightforward meetings, it may be a cost sa- saving measure as well for Quandos uh, mm-hmm. implement. Okay, so we have a two or three, three more, uh, three more topics and uh, 45 minutes. Goodness, people, I'm not keeping here till 30. Three more topics and 15 minutes to go. So I'm going to move right on to closure of amenities. Where are we now? Mo, can you walk us through, we had a couple of very specific questions on playground structures and on lobby furniture. What should we be doing about various amenities in our, uh, our current situation?
7: Thank you, Nancy. Uh, Good afternoon, everyone. So uh, my first question that I had was, should playgrounds and structures on the common elements be closed at the moment? And our basic straightforward answer to that is at this time, yes, they should be closed, they should remain closed. Um, And in support of that, we first look to the Ottawa Public Health's COVID-19 guidance for multidimensional units. So one of the uh, one of the advices that's given in uh, in that guidance is to say that uh, at this point, uh, the OPH is advising that all on-site recreational amenities and gathering spaces, so that includes party rooms, fitness rooms, pools, and so on, um, that those are to remain closed. And it also um, advises to take additional precautions in shared spaces. Um, this is of course in addition to other measures, so for example, to avoid gatherings in common, uh, gathering public gatherings and common elements, to try and uh, maintain social distancing in places like elevators, and so on. Um, In addition to that, there's also the emergency order um, under subsection 7.024 of the Emergency Management and Civil Protection Act. um, Which advises that at this time all outdoor recreational amenities should be closed and the order defines outdoor recreational amenities to include um, outdoor playground and play structures and equipment. um, And it also includes all portions of parks and recreational areas containing outdoor fitness equipment. So um, in brief, the answer is yet is yes for um, places like playground and outdoor structures uh, and those kinds of amenities to remain closed. Um, in addition to that, for those who attended the, um, the CCI town hall yesterday with Dr. Etches, she also spoke briefly about that. And she advised that at this time, OPH is also advising that these amenities remain closed. Um, the second question I had was with regard to the um, Sorry, just briefly be- before that, so just coming back to the issue of, of um, outdoor amenities, of course, there can be certain exceptions in very, very exceptional cases. So, for example, when there are human rights considerations at issue, and also in very limited circumstances. So, one example um, perhaps is when it's a very small condominium and there's maybe one person that You know, uses um, the gym or the fitness area for instance. But um, in those circumstances it's up to the board to make that decision. But for now our advice is that these amenities should remain closed. Um, The second question was with regard to uh, removing furniture in the lobby. So at the moment we're saying that it's entirely up to the condominium boards uh, to make that decision. We know that some condos have, others haven't. Um, Our advice would be to say that if it's possible to do so uh perhaps one recommend one suggestion would be to replace the couches um, in the lobbies with hard surface chairs, for example. But then again, it depends on the specific circumstances. So for example, if the if it's uh if there are built-in couches, that becomes a little bit more difficult. Ultimately, what we understand is the objective is to limit as much as possible gatherings on the common elements in places like law and like the lobby, um, in order to ensure that we prevent the virus from spreading. So I think that should be it, um, unless there are any questions. Thank you.
3: Great, Mo. And actually, Melody did have a question. I think you touched on it already. Do the closures include such as benches? Uh, For example, we have an elderly Democrat Graphic requesting benches to remain at the front of the building. I think Mogu touched straight on that, that to the extent that we may need to leave a bench here or there to uh, deal with human rights issues or to allow for a temporary seating for someone who's waiting for accommodation or, or sorry for um, for transport, etc. Leave a bench here and there, make sure it's regularly cleaned, uh, but take away, if, if you decide to do so, those structures that would uh, promote uh, gathering on the property.
7: Exactly. exactly. Such as
3: great big comfy cozy chairs of pillows.
7: <laughs> exactly. So yeah all, always the human rights considerations are, are paramount but um, it's also uh, basically the point is to try and avoid gatherings as much as possible while also balancing that with uh, with human rights considerations.
3: Great. Right. We, uh, we actually heard of a case yesterday where we had a, a group of owners or a group of uh, residents perhaps coming into the lobby arm in arm, waving at the camera and flagrantly uh, flouting the rules. So, you know, throwing some cozy chairs out there may invite that kind of activity. And so to the extent that that's the type of situation you're dealing with, it may make sense to remove those cozy chairs. So thank you, Mo, for that. We're gonna turn now to status certificates, status certificate wording and Cheryl, um, with just a touch base, where are we at on status certificate wording at this point in our crisis?
8: Thanks, Nancy. So I know that we touched on this on our last call, but it is an issue that's raised frequently. So I think it helps to review it again. Overall, my view is the same that a blanket statement with respect to COVID-19 in the status certificate isn't necessary in all cases. There's no guarantee at this time that condominium corporations will be in financial difficulty due to COVID-19. Each condo will be in a different situation. With that said, it is certainly possible that some condominium corporations have seen their expenses increase due to additional cleaning measures, increased management and so on. Um, so first each board will need to look at their situation and their finances and determine whether they anticipate an increase or that their budget is off track. Um, in cases where it is a real risk for the corporation, um, they should be mentioning something in paragraph 12 of the certificates as soon as the risk becomes apparent. Um, and any anticipated deficit um, should also be mentioned in paragraph nine. Um, so in those cases where expenses are anticipated to be um, in excess, uh, the, the following wording, I'm going to give you some wording that you can use. Now you don't have to write it down right now. I am, there's a blog about this so if you go to our website and our blog and Google status certificates and COVID-19 you'll find the wording set out there um, and if you can't find it you can let me know and I can send it to you. Um, but the wording that we're proposing is it appears that the COVID-19 crisis may cause the condominium corporation to incur expenses beyond the current budget. See also paragraph nine in relation to the anticipated budget deficit. We won't know the precise amount of the resulting anticipated deficit and the resulting required increase in common expenses until the crisis is behind us. Um, So that's the wording that we're proposing. Um, Also, if the corporation's finances are in a position that There might be a delay or change in the payments to the reserve fund or it'll knock the reserve fund off track you'll also need to mention this in the status certificates.
3: Great okay thank you Cheryl and I see Anne brought up a question and Gary had a question uh, both in relation to renovations to units so uh, Anne's question Cheryl will go to you what about putting something in the status certificate about no renovations in units until pandemic is over? How do
8: you feel about that? So I guess if there's a situation where someone's purchasing a unit and you're concerned that they're um, going to be going in right away and wanna renovate it before they can move in, um, I I don't think it would hurt to include that type of wording in the status certificate to just let um, prospective purchasers know that the corporation's made this decision that no unnecessary repairs are going forward at this time.
3: Okay, and then if we go to Gary's question, uh, he saw a unit lamp having laminate floors being installed yesterday. Do I have the right to stop the work? Do I report them to bylaw? Well, part one of the question I think will depend on the circumstances, Gary, we'd have to know whether or not they had the work started before or after the April 4th deadline, uh, and then whether or not it's, it's considered to be allowed to continue as Emily said earlier. But with respect to part two of your question, should an email go out to all owners telling them that no uh, no upgrades like flooring are permitted? I know that some condos are doing circulars and sending out COVID-19 updates on a regular basis, so to the extent that you can put something in there to say that subject to the emergency order, only necessary work is permitted to be completed, I think that's a perfectly proper statement to include in notifications to the owners. Uh, subject to Emily or Victoria having any other comments on that? Emily Victoria, shake your head. No. I'm okay with that. Okay, great. okay. So then we'll move on. Uh, perfect timing. It's five to three. We're trying to keep us ourselves on time here. Our last key topic is enforcement. It's been two weeks since we all met uh, over this particular forum. And Christy, can you bring us up to speed? What's new and exciting or has anything changed in relation to enforcement?
9: Uh, Yes, of course. Um, I'm gonna try to be quick. So uh, the last time we met, um, we talked about the fact that uh, our understanding was that the police weren't really at that point in time coming on to the common elements to deal with um, the enforcement of the emergency orders that have been made uh, by the province or by the federal government. Um, that seems to have changed. And anyone who tuned into uh, last night's virtual town hall with Nancy and uh, Dr. Etches, and as well, I guess, the superintendent of the police um, had a lot to say on this um, particular subject. So basically, what we understand is that um, neither public health nor the police want condominium boards or managers to engage in altercations with owners over compliance with emergency orders. And so if uh, if there's a need to enforce um, emergency orders on the common elements or within units, then their preference is that uh, managers, boards, neighbors call 311. Uh, and so uh, once you access 311, uh, there will be an assessment made as to whether or not it's something that can be addressed with bylaw officers or with police or in some cases with both. In terms of that said, of course, condominium corporations can still play the role of educator in um, this uh, crisis. And so to the extent there is a situation where uh, an owner or resident is simply not understanding what their obligations are, or perhaps a little education assists, uh, then that's a, a situation where a board can step in, a manager can step in and either have a conversation, write a letter, try to help with the education. Um, but if there are flagrant breaches of the emergency orders that are currently in place or if it's a situation that requires more urgent attention, uh, then, then certainly calling 311 is going to be uh, the way to deal with this. So in terms of the emergency orders that are currently in place that would uh, be relevant to a condominium or that are going to be most relevant to a condominium corporation, we've touched on them a lot. I, I think most of them, if not all of them today, but just to recap, uh, there's the closure, the order for the closure of outdoor recreational amenities, and that includes um, private outdoor amenities as well as public. So if there are gatherings on any of the, uh, the condominiums, private outdoor amenities, um, then that can be addressed by way of uh, uh, police involvement or bylaw involvement. Closure of places of non-essential business. So if there's non-essential business taking place on the common elements, and this would include mainly work, uh, construction work, on the common elements or within the units, um, then this is the kind of thing that, again, if it's not essential, if it's not considered essential, the police um, may take steps to enforce that order. Uh, There's a prohibition on social gatherings of more than five people. So any social gatherings, whether within a unit or on the common elements, those are situations where police or bylaw officers can be brought in to uh, break those up. And then there are orders under the Quarantine Act, and the Quarantine Act is the federal uh, legislation which deals mainly with mandatory self-isolation of individuals who have returned from traveling outside of Canada. Uh, So if there is a mandatory self-isolation requirement in place with a resident, and you know that a resident is breaching that obligation, um, then that's something that you can call the police on, and in that respect, you can contact the non-urgent police line to deal with that. Um, so to get back to Jerry's, this sort of is uh, to to bring it all home. Uh, uh, sorry, Gary Wenzel's question about the laminate uh, flooring being installed can that be stopped, and can you report them? As Nancy said, if it's if it's laminate flooring work that Started after April fifth, then it's it's contrary to the current order in place that doesn't permit work to be done, construction work to be done, um, on uh, on the common elements or within the units, um, and so that can be stopped, and it can be stopped by either just speaking with the individuals if they're prepared to cooperate, or by calling in by law and or police through the three one one service number. I think that's all I had. Thank Great. you, everyone.
3: No, that's fantastic. So that ties up a couple of questions. Um, We've got one question here from Melody and then Victoria also had a little something that she wanted to add to Gary's question, which is great uh, food for thought obviously here. So first we'll turn it over to Victoria. She had just a couple more comments she wanted to add. So Ali, if you can unmute Victoria, we'll let her add her comments as
5: well. Vic, over to you. Thanks, Nancy. Yeah, Further to Chrissy's comments, I was just going to elaborate a little bit more um, on what Nancy had said. If the replacement of the laminate flooring started on or before um, April 4th, then the owner is permitted to continue this work unless the board makes the decision that this work should not proceed based on what's in the best interests of the condominium community as I had earlier described. Now, if the board does make that decision that this work should not proceed, um, the owner will need an opportunity to bring this unit uh, to a livable condition. If the work started after April 4th, it should have only proceeded if strictly, strictly necessary for the safety, sanitation, or essential operation of the unit. You know, for instance, if the floors were damaged or unusable in some respect. If not, uh, and the owner had uh, is completing this work for uh, strictly cosmetic purposes, then the work probably should have not proceeded and uh, uh, Chrissy's comments would apply. Um, Anyway, hopefully that's helpful.
3: (laughs) Great, no, fantastic,
5: Victoria. Thank you for that. Uh, One
3: last question we had from Melody. Um, We know that the owner's privacy is paramount, but is the co permitted to ask returning snowbirds If they're returning from travel abroad strictly to determine if there is a need for garbage recycling pickup and delivery this information would obviously be kept confidential and I'd say yes Melody the economy corporation can always ask uh, for that information if the individual resident is not willing to give it to us uh, we can't force them to do so but I don't think there's any harm in asking and then you can also help further by pointing them to OPH to contact OPH who have a variety of resources available to assist with all of those uh, situations in the event that you don't have a volunteer organization already set up in place on your your property. Oh, one last question from Sarah. is: If someone is COVID-19 positive or awaiting results and is in required quarantine, what should we propose if there is a fire alarm and evacuation required? Great question, Sarah. We actually had uh, Chief Lewis yesterday talk to us about that. Uh, during the webinar. Um, Standard protocols for evacuations do stay in place uh, even during the quarantine or or even for somebody who is in quarantine, but she recommended that everybody have a little kit ready for themselves right in front of their door with gloves, masks, sanitizer, anything that may be required so that they can try and prevent themselves from infecting others. Um, So that's the short answer, but I definitely invite anybody to uh, Listen to that portion of the webinar from last night from Chief Lewis. She had some really great suggestions uh, that I think are helpful to everybody. So, before everybody goes off and enjoys their Friday afternoon spritzer or whatever the case may be, everybody who attended today, thank you so much for joining us. Keep your questions coming if you have them, and we don't want to over webinar everybody, but maybe we can have another session in a couple weeks if everybody thinks it's helpful. So thank you, everybody. Stay safe, be well, stay isolated, and chat soon.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Conopedia is brought to you by Davidson Who Allen, a boutique condominium law firm servicing Eastern Ontario. You can find more about our firm on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or on our website at davidsoncondolaw.ca. This podcast is for information purposes only and is not intended to provide legal opinion or advice, which cannot be given without knowing the facts of a specific situation. Use of this podcast does not establish a solicitor and client relationship. The intro and outro music is provided by Purple Planet. You can find them at purple-planet.com.